0: Well, Welcome to the uh, second message in the series of five messages in August on couples in the Bible and talking about family matters. Uh, today we're introduced to Abraham and Sarah and uh, the primary characteristic in their home I believe is they had a marriage demonstrating strong faith which reminds us of the New Testament truth for every born-again believer that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. While Abraham and Sarah are great models for us of walking by faith, nevertheless, we'll see later on, they also had their flaws, just like you do and just like my family does as well. But before we look at Genesis 12 in the Scriptures, I want to ask you just a few questions, three very quickly. Number one, if you know the Lord as your Savior... Do you walk by faith? Regardless of where you are stationed in life, do you walk by faith? If you're a man, and especially a husband or father, is Abraham your example? And do you walk by faith following that example as the high priest of your family, the position God has appointed you to, to be the one who sets the spiritual tone and direction in the home and number three as a woman or as a wife and mom are you walking by faith with sarah as the great role model for you now abraham and sarah are both mentioned in the hall of faith chapter in the new testament that would be hebrews chapter 11. abraham is mentioned more than any other person in the scriptures from the old testament in hebrews 11. If I counted correctly, there are seven different incidents that the writer of Hebrews marks down where Abraham is seen as walking by faith. Sarah's the first woman mentioned uh, in the Hebrews 11, and she also is greatly commended for her faith, and she's one of the very few women mentioned in Hebrews 11. So let's look at this faithful couple who model for us a marriage demonstrating strong faith. I want us to begin by reading Hebrews 11. It's going to be on the screen in front of you, verses 8 to 12, and then we'll go to 1 Peter 3. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Can you imagine? He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promises in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with them of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, Abraham, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, Peter writes this in 1 Peter 3, 5, and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now let's look at this couple, see him as a faithful couple, and learn what it means to walk by faith. How do we walk by faith? Maybe some of you haven't thought about it for a while. Maybe some of you are new believers, you never heard about it. But God wants us all to walk by faith, and he wants our homes characterized that way as well. So as we begin looking at Abraham and Sarah early in the marriage, we have to be impressed with the faith and leadership that Abraham offers and the faith and submissive spirit, which Sarah demonstrates. And the main thing here, first of all, if I'm going to walk by faith, I've got to listen to God. And that's exactly what they did. They listened to God. Now, what is submission for a Christian wife? We're going to be talking about roles later on. So this is just a passing comment. Because we're talking about Sarah, who's commended for it. It certainly is not inferiority. The woman is not in any way inferior to the man whatsoever. It's not uniformity. Sarah is not a female Abraham. Eve was not a female Adam. So they're distinct and they complement each other. The one brings to the marriage what the other can't possibly bring. So we're talking about a functional role. It is simply active, believing faith from a woman, from a wife, that God will lead her husband, who with her prayers and counsel will accomplish what is best for their lives. I guarantee you this is not a popular notion in our world and culture today when we're living in a day of egalitarianism. But I do believe it's taught in the Bible as I understand it. So Genesis tells us about two major moves made early in their marriage uh, that they are commended for in Hebrews. The first one is from the city of Ur of the Chaldees uh, to the land and to the city of Haran. Now, while this is encouraging to all of us as we're going to look at it and stepping out of this move, it's about a 600-mile journey in the worst kind of terrain you can imagine. It took several months. But while it's encouraging to all of us as men and women of faith, I think it should be especially encouraging to some of you who maybe did not have the blessing of being raised in a home where mom and dad were believers and they modeled what that meant to you. Some of you have been saved out of idolatry, out of paganism. You never knew what it was to be. You never read the Bible in your home. You never went to church. Now here you are, you're married. And you've come to the Lord, and now you want to have a a marriage that honors and glorifies God. And all this says is God took Abraham, just like you, out of paganism, out of a secular background, and he blessed him in such a wonderful way. So Abraham was chosen out of a godless, out of a pagan, and extremely idolatrous past. Ur of the Chaldees was a thriving Boston, New York City, uh, on the ancient coastline of the Persian Gulf, and today it's the present country of Iraq. In fact, even more particular, it's just not very far away from Basra, from, uh, which we have seen on the news in, in uh, late days and months and years. And it was especially known, if you do any studying on it, for its gross idolatry. Now I, I began wondering, and it kept me awake several nights, and I could never find the answer. When did God first, and how did God first reveal Himself to this pagan uh, Abram, who was worshiping false gods? Uh, I know of what it says in Hebrews. I know of what it says in Acts, etc. But how how was it? How did it happen? So I began reading. I read th- three rabbis written a paper. Each one of them have a different answer to that question. I read uh, the Quran from uh, Islam, because they recognize Abraham as their father of religion. Then I read from a Christian, uh, more of a liberal, what he said. And as I read them, they each said something different, because each one came from a background without any objective authority to it whatsoever. But as I looked at the five different views that I read about, I saw that the, the one thing that they each were trying to do was to show why Abraham was worthy to be chosen by God. Why he was worthy to be the father of Israel, the father of Islam, the father of Christianity. Now the truth of the matter is we don't know how it all began. Uh, We'll know someday, Lord willing. But we know this. If God can take a, 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 a Pharisee who hated and persecuted Christians and he's going on a road to Damascus to persecute the church of God, and God strikes him right down on the ground and blinds him. And he responds, Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? If he can do that to solve Tarsus in the New Testament, there's no problem with what he can do should he choose to do it with some pagan living in land of Ur of the Chaldees. The great news as we look at Abraham in his beginning is not just that God created the world, but God loves the world. God loves the pagans. God loves those who are worshiping idols. The other thing we learn is you didn't earn his love. You know, some people have thought that, that you, God loves you because you're a good person, but then Romans says there's no, none good, no, not one. Someone then says uh, you love God, and then after you love God, he will love you, and that's wrong. John says no, we love because he first Loved us so. God, in His great sovereignty, chose this pagan Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, and He promised, made three uh, just tremendous, far-reaching promises to him. What do He say in Hebrews twelve? I'm going to make a great your name great. I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Personal blessing, national blessing, universal. And so, even here we are today, some four thousand years later benefiting because that universal blessing was the seed of Abraham, which was the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, which brought about our Savior, a Jew who suffered on the cross. Now, if you look just at Genesis 12, when he says, Now, Abraham... Uh, had gotten out of that and heard the voice of God, uh, we, if we couple that with Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is preaching right before he becomes the first Christian martyr, we can bring it all together. Let me let me share with you what, what Stephen said in Acts 7. He says, Brothers and fathers, hear me. This is not in Genesis, and this isn't in Hebrews. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. So when he was in Ur of the Chaldees, that's when God first revealed himself to Abraham before he lived in Haran, Genesis 12. And he said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred, go into a land that I will show you. And he went out into the land of the Chaldeans and he lived in Haran, uh, which is today the modern day uh, Turkey. So he goes from Iraq, modern day to modern day Turkey, 600 miles, several months. And then after his father died, who was Terah, who was a pagan, and who died a pagan, as far as we know it, an idolater. After his father died, God removed him there into this land in which you are now living. So God knew that Abraham needed to be separated from all this idolatry if he was going to survive spiritually. Therefore, separation becomes really a keynote in the life of Abraham from the first, from the beginning to the last, as you study it. So it appears that Terah, Abraham's idolatrous father, refuses to go further, He leaves Ur, he goes to Haran, which is named, by the way, after his son, another son by the name of Haran, and then he refuses to go any further, and he died in Haran. It seems that Abraham and Sarah, if you put it all together, were maybe in Haran five years, and then God spoke to them again, and this brings us to the second move, Genesis 12, 4 and 5. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abraham took Sarah's wife, Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. Apparently he was a great businessman in Ur, established that in Haran. Now his business grew over five years. He's got lots of servants, lots of employees. And so he gathers all them together in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan. What we have happening here, if you, if, uh, underneath the scene, is God is active, and he's speaking to his people. And the first and most important thing we can do in order to know God's will and to know God's voice is to simply have a listening ear, to listen to God by faith. So we read in Hebrews 11 that Abraham wasn't even told where God was going to send him. But God spoke so clearly with Abraham's listening ear that he chose to listen to God. And listening to God is one of the most basic lessons we must learn and we must never forget. I hope you get up every morning and whether you use devotional books, the Bible, whatever you use, I hope you get up and the first thing you do is say, Lord, your servant hears. And let the Lord Jesus Christ, let God, let the Holy Spirit of God uh, speak to your heart. But in order to listen to him, you've got to have that listening ear and say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. God wants us to experience the walk of faith and fellowship with him. Henry Blackaby wrote a great book. Some of you have studied it. It's called Experiencing God. It was written several years ago. He lists seven principles in this whole matter of following God and doing the will of God. And two of them I love especially that that bear on this message. Number one, he said, God speaks by the Holy Spirit. How does God speak today? Well, in Abraham's day, no doubt it was probably an audible voice. God actually spoke to him, just like I'm speaking to you. And so you're just sitting there and you're listening. But how does God speak today? I don't think he's going to talk to you in an audible voice. I don't think he's going to give you a dream. I don't think he's going to give you a vision. I think the way that God speaks to us primarily uh, is by the Holy Spirit through the Bible. That's him speaking to us. Through prayer, I speak to him. We have a conversation back and forth. Even through circumstances, we see different things going that, that God's going to use those. And then through the body of Christ, through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, where iron is sharpening uh, iron. And so God is revealing his purposes and his ways to us in those matters. Let me just make a side uh, a trip here for just one minute. I hear a lot, and I've heard a lot for 55 years from a lot of Christians who say, dream big for God. Create, be a visionary. Create a great vision for God. And you know, I've never liked that, and yet I've heard good men, better men than I, that have said it. And I thought, well, why don't I like it? And as I've been studying this week, I got to thinking of Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. In other words, God already has the plan for each of our life. He knew exactly the day we'd be born. He knew when we would be born again. He knows the day of our departure. He knows everything in between. And God has a purpose and a plan for every life of, of, of his redeemed children. So what in the world am I going to do dreaming up some big dream or some creating some visionary... When I want God's plan, I don't want what I'm dreaming up. I want what God has planned for me. And so the only way I can know that plan, it begins by as I listen to God. Since he created the plan, he's the one that's going to tell us where to go. If I had a life verse, it would be Psalm 32.8. I will instruct thee, God says. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which you should go. I will guide you with my eye. What a great verse. God promises to instruct us to teach us and to lead us where we should go. Now, God's going to speak to me through those various ways. The word, prayer, circumstances, body of Christ. Number two, God's invitation for you is to work with him. And then when you hear his voice, he is going to lead you to a crisis of belief that will require faith in action on your part. So this leads us to the second step. They not only listened to God, but they trusted God. Some of you who have been around the block for a few years have walked with the Lord. You know that God has spoken to your heart in times past about things you never even thought about. You, you never thought about it, and you're, you're listening to God, and then God uh, says, I want you to do this. I want you to do, uh, do, do such and such. And sometimes God is going to lead you to do things that you really just don't want to do, humanly speaking. So the second step we learn from Abraham is this he trusted God. I think that's the ultimate question we ask all through life. I think that's the question Mary asked when she was told she was going to conceive and bear the Messiah. I think she had to say, can I trust God? I know it's going to be a hard road ahead. Can I trust God? I think Joseph had to ask that question when God uh, told him to take down Egypt. Can I trust? I think all through life, we have to answer that question. When God touches my heart and he's leading me to do this, I have to answer the question after I've listened to God. Can I trust God? So Abraham listened to God. He trusted him. Sarah listened to her God and listened to her husband. And she trusted them. 4,000 years later, we sit here blessed because of their walk of faith. So Abraham, a very wealthy man, Whose business had grown in heron, now is told to leave heron with his family, servants, possessions. Now, keep in mind, Abraham is 75 years old. Uh, just like some of you sitting out here, you're getting close to it. And if you're not close to it, some of you look like you are. Uh, <laughs> but at any rate, you know, and I'm past it. And so, you know, as you get older, you get pretty settled. Probably some of you are pretty settled right here on Cape Cod. And you've made up your mind you're going to be here the rest of the life. You don't have a clue. You don't know when God is going to uh, speak to your heart and ask you to do something, just like he did to, to, to Abraham at the age of 75. So after he arrives in Canaan, God tells him what? He says, to your offspring, I will give this land. What a great promise. He's reconfirming it. I'm going to give the, this land to, you, to your, your people through this promised son, Isaac. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he used to receive as inheritance. He went out, and this just honest to goodness, every time I read this, I almost have to stop. He went out not knowing where he was going. You mean to imagine me going home to Muriel, my wife, and saying, honey, let's pack up. We're leaving. God told me we're supposed to leave. She's really? Yeah. Where are we going? I don't know. We're just going to pack it. Yeah, we're going to pack up. Where do we go? I, I don't know, but God will be faithful to lead us. That's what, what happened here. He went out not knowing where he was going, but by faith he went to live in the land of promises in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, bears with him of the same promise, for he was looking he was looking far beyond this life. He was looking to that city that has foundations whose designer is builder is God. He was always thinking eternally. He was always thinking spiritually. He was always thinking biblically uh, in the sense as we know it today. He simply wanted to listen to the voice of God and he trusted God. Now I would imagine that just about everyone here who has walked with the Lord uh, a few years, that you've had that time in your life where God asked you to do something that you were just, I don't know of a better way to say it than you were hit on the blind side. You just had never thought about it. You, you you heard the voice of God, you listened to God, and you're thinking, am I hearing right? And uh, God has a way of doing that. So I was going back in my life for the last few weeks as I've been studying and preparing this message, and I remember back in, in 1982, I'd been... Uh, my wife and I had been serving as senior pastor at York Gospel Center in Pennsylvania for about a year. Went there in 81. And that first year, it was a, you talk about a honeymoon. And it was a beautiful church building at a beautiful balcony and alcove. And no one was in it when we first went there and candidated. At the end of the first year, the church was packed out. When I say people came forward every Sunday and trusted Christ, they did. And the church, and God was blessing. And then in October of 1982, I'd been there now a year. I had a weekend Bible conference and had Dr. Warren Wearsby uh, in for the conference. He spoke Friday night, Saturday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Just before we went out to the service Sunday night and uh, having prayer, as, um, uh, as we were just going out, he looked at me and he said, You know, Harry, he's, I've been here this weekend, got to know the church, some of the people. He's, you could be here for the next 25 years. And I'll never forget, I looked at him eyeball to eyeball. And at the time, I was 40 years old. And I thought, the next 25, that takes me to 65. I said, yeah. I said, that's exactly what I think is going to happen. And that was Sunday night. Then we went and finished the service. Monday, the mail comes, and there's a letter. Dear Dr. Fletcher, We have been praying for the next president of Washington Bible College and Capitol Bible Seminary, and we believe you are the man to lead us. Would you prayerfully consider submitting your name as a candidate? I'm telling you the honest to goodness truth. If President Reagan had sent me a letter and asked me to be the ambassador to Japan, it wouldn't have been any farther fetched in my mind. Because I loved being a pastor. I was happy being a pastor. And yet when God does that, you have to stop and you have to listen. And I remember listening and praying, and we had the opportunity then to take about a year to work through everything, but finally God let us down, and we went down there and had seven wonderful years, if you can have seven wonderful years in academia. Uh, a lot of them are pinheads, honest to goodness. You know, They just don't have their feet on the ground. I mean, that's another story, so I won't, I won't go there. <laughs> But I think all that God was asking me and Meryl, uh, to do, because you have two girls, you got a teenager, you know, getting ready to graduate from high school, now you're moving to Washington, D.C. You know, it's a big step. And God kept on saying, come back, do you trust me? Are you willing to trust me? I heard, I listened. Now I say, yeah, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to trust you. Because God sometimes requires us to do something that we never expected would happen. I love Genesis 12:4 about Abraham. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Isn't that good? Are we listening? Do we trust him? There's a third step, and that is they obeyed God. They obeyed God. They not only listened and they said, yeah, I trust you, but now I'm going to prove that I'm going to obey you. So Christians, even after we listen, God speaks to us and uh, we say we trust him. The time to obey is when God speaks. We must seize the opportunity now, granted, he's going to lead us and there's going to be a process in some cases, even like I went through for about a year. But anyway, you're moving ahead and you're following the voice and listening to the voice of God. And you're, you're, he has the right to change it anytime he wants to. We understand that. But as long as he's, you sense he's leading you, you're doing what the Lord has, has called you to do. So when God speaks to your heart, the time to respond is now. Remember some of you Christians believers here. Remember the first time you heard that you're supposed to be a giver? Remember the first time you heard about tithing? Remember, oh, I can't do that. I'm raising a we can't afford to do that. And God said, you do it. Are you willing to trust me? Yeah, I'm willing to. Are you listening? Yeah, I'm listening. Are you going to obey? Well, how about 7%? How about 6%? How about 2%? We start somewhere here. You say, uh, God wants you to be a, a, a personal witness, an evangelist. And, oh, I don't know what I'm going to... Are you listening? And are you trusting God? And then are you obeying God? Because there are going to be all kinds of these things. And you put money aside, and you think you're saving the money. I remember 40 years ago, thought we were saving money for a piano. Wanted to get our daughter's piano lessons, buy a piano. No, we didn't have any money. We just saved a little bit of money. And I remember we had $1,500 to buy a used piano. And then we had a faith promise, and the missions came, and a missions come. And I remember God said, give that money. I, I, am I hearing right? Give that money. And that's exactly what we did. And that, that's what, you, you know, you listen, and you say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And then you step out, and you obey the Lord. I'm looking forward to sharing some comments Wednesday above the Antrimont's burial. service had born on Wednesday. In doing some research, I found out that his favorite life verse was this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, many of you can quote it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto thy own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And so are we walking in obedience to God. I'll tell you, most people don't even give it a thought. Most people, and a lot of Christians don't. They just go through life. They go to college, they get a job, they get married, they have children, get the children through college, and before you know it, they're 40, 50, 60 years old, life is passing by, and they never stop to say, Lord, what is your plan for my life? What do you want me to do? Lord, here I am, I'm your servant. Speak, your servant hears. Will you listen? Will you trust him? Will you obey him? Then there's a fourth step. That is, they worship God. They worship God. Listen to these precious words in Genesis 12, 7, and 8. When God spoke to Abraham and Canaan. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your offering, your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord. Why in the world do you build an altar? To worship God. So he built there an altar to God who had appeared to them. From there he moved again to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, A on the east, and there, there he goes again. He built an altar to the Lord and God called and, and called upon the name of the Lord. So worshiping God means I've listened to him, I'm trusting him, I'm obeying him. And now after getting to various points of obedience, Abraham builds an order to God. Now, God has promised him a seed, he's promised him a son. The son of promise is Isaac. So he had to wait now for God's promise that he's trusting God for. And he's an old man already, he's already 75 years old when he got the promise. He had to wait another 25 years And finally, the son of promise is born when Abraham is 100 years old. And now we fast track after that, and we Isaac is born, Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90. Now we go about 13 to 16 years later, and God will give Abraham and Sarah the greatest test of their faith when they build another altar. Why? They listened to the voice, they trusted God, they obeyed God, and now they would continue to worship God. Listen to these hard words, Genesis 22, 2. He said, God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and get to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of those mountains of which I shall tell you. What a strange command. God, I thought pagans did that. Am I hearing right? Am I hearing the voice of, of the loving, sovereign creator, God of the universe? Am I hearing the God, voice of God that revealed himself to me in Ur of the Chaldees? Am I listening to God? Maybe I need some time to delay. Maybe I need to think this through. Offer my son. He's the son of promise. All the seed, all the offspring's coming. The Savior is coming through the seed of Isaac, the Messiah of the world. Surely God wouldn't ask me to do that. And so we read the next few words in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and built the altar there. I know in my heart of hearts, I could be wrong, and I don't think I am. Sarah had a part in this too. Doesn't say she did. She had to know. Abraham, the very next morning, early in the morning, by the way, we know the rest of the story. Obedient Abraham, worshiping God, builds the altar. Takes this teenager, not a little boy, not an infant, by the way. He's 13, 16 years old, which tells me he could have resisted his dad. Another story. And Abraham puts him up on the altar. He's got this knife. Just before he slays his son, he hears the voice. Whose voice does he hear? It says, the angel of the Lord. Now listen up. Anytime you see the words, the angel, definite article, the angel of the Lord, it is always in the old testament always the pre-incarnate lord jesus christ now it won't fit if you use a king james version a new king they're not as exact but if you use an american standard version niv every time you see the angel of the lord in the old testament it is the lord jesus christ and i thought about that when abraham just about ready to sacrifice isaac who is isaac is a type of christ who the father has sent his only begotten son that, that Isaac, that, that, that Jesus knew that Isaac was figuratively speaking of what he was going to suffer in about 2,000 years. Abraham, 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 I know now that you fear God. Do not lay your hand on the boy, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham looked around, there was a ram in the thicket. Took that ram out of the thicket, remember? Offered him up. As a sacrifice in worship to God, then he named, gave God a new name, and it was called Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews adds to give us a full picture here. How could Abraham have that faith to do that, knowing God had promised seed offspring? How could where does he get? Listen to what Hebrew says. He he Abraham he considered that God was able even to raise. Isaac from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. He's saying, if I'm going to kill and offer my son in obedience to God, and I'll do it, I believe that since I've got an offer, God's going to raise him from the dead. You talk about faith. Genuine faith, obedience to the specific command. Now, we've looked at this, faith and my time is up. So I'm going to skip The next uh, few slides, okay? I don't want to take advantage of the time of the people. But there were two flaws in Abraham and Sarah's life. Because they weren't a perfect couple of walking by faith. The one dealt with Abraham when there was a famine in the land of Canaan. And you remember? Now listen, he never consults God. This great man of intercessory prayer doesn't pray. He doesn't listen to God. He doesn't obey God. He's not interested in what God has to say. He just sees it's a family-in-law. What's you do? In his own carnal, self-directed way, he goes down into Egypt. And when he gets down into Egypt, you remember what happens? He gets scared for his life now. Because he's got a most gorgeous wife. Sarah apparently was a knockout, a beautiful woman in, at 65. And he says, what's are going to do? Is they're going to see my beautiful wife and they're going to kill me and then they're going to take Sarah into the Pharaoh's harem. And she'll she'll join his harem. And so he tells his wife, he tells his wife, you tell them that you're my sister. That was a half-truth, by the way. Not the same mother and father, but a half-truth. You tell them that you're my sister. And Sarah did it. Was Sarah Violet? I don't have a clue. I want to thank God protect her. I don't have a clue. But Pharaoh took her into the harem. And then Pharaoh comes and rebukes Abraham. How could you do this? An unbelieving godless man rebukes rebukes faithful Abraham. I don't know how Abraham ever looked at Sarah in the eyes again. I I don't know throwing her around like that. Sarah wasn't perfect herself. She gets tired of waiting for the promised son. So what does she do? She's got a slave maid by the name of Hagar. She's Egyptian. Where'd, he get, where'd they get Hagar? Got her down in Egypt when they were backslidden. See, it just keeps coming around. And so she says to Hagar, you go sleep with my husband Abraham and we'll get the son of promise that way. And Abraham didn't do a thing of leadership. He accepted it. Ishmael was born, not Isaac. The whole house is in a turmoil. Abraham. Sarah looks at Abraham. She blames him. It was wrong to Hagar. It was wrong to Sarah. It was wrong to God. The whole thing's a mess. Sarah flinched. Let's close the message. What do you do when you have a lapse of faith? Maybe not as awful as that but you have a lapse of faith and you just kind of, you're not walking by faith anymore. You come back to God. So we close with this this flourishing couple because they did end up a flourishing couple. And I just got three things to say. If you find yourself, you've been on a little bit of a drift from God. You're not where you think you ought to be. Your home's not where it ought to be. God is so gracious and merciful and loving and faithful. He's standing there with outreached arms. Number one, Be sincere. Don't let duplicity mark your life. Don't say one thing outside the other side of your mouth and be living a life over here. Deal with any sin. Deal with wherever, because sometimes, you know, we get away sinning, we think we're going to keep getting away with it. You're not going to get away with it. Whatever a man sows, that shall you also reap. Number two, be selfless. Abraham got his eyes off, off, off God, and he looked at himself. He's, he's trying to protect his own hide. I'll tell you this, if a man is the kind of leader he ought to be, and as a leader he is a submissive leader, by submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. And when a woman has a husband who loves her with the love of Christ, and submits as the Son of God submitted himself as the servant of of Jehovah, she won't have a problem being submissive to him if she's a godly woman. Be selfless. Love your family, love one another and be steadfast. Easiest thing to do, you know, when you're kind of off track, easiest thing is just to give up. Give up on the marriage, give up on the home, give up on this, give up on that, give up on God and before you know it, you've wasted your life away. So let's press forward in the humility that takes hold of the grace of God and the love of God and God will bless you. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, I don't have a clue where these homes are in their relationship with you, and their relationship with one another, husbands, wives, parents, children, grandparents, single people, divorced, widows, widowers, but you do. And you have a way of taking your word by your spirit and touching our hearts. And I pray you do it in Jesus name. Amen.